This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. You know, George Takei is a man known for so many remarkable things. He braved new frontiers in Star Trek as Hikaru Sulu, or Mr. Sulu, as he was called. It's a character he's played, what, on and off now and been known for for something like 50 years. But then there's so much more to George Takei. He's a social media superstar. He's more than 10 million followers on Facebook alone. He is an activist. He lobbies for LGBT rights. He talks about racism. He worked with, during the civil rights era to, to forward all of those ideas. And he's an author with a truly remarkable history. He's in Vancouver right now. He's here to talk about his new graphic memoir. It's called They Called Us Enemy. It details his childhood in Japanese internment camps and the impact that had on him and his family. And what's really interesting, the book is told in in comic book form, like a graphic novel, but it's his biographical story. And it's amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. He joined us this morning and here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this. It's great to be here and back in Vancouver. Well, it's lovely to have you. Your book is called They Called Us Enemy. First of all, uh, congratulations on that. It is stunning to well, read. Well, thank you very much. What made you want to write this in comic book form? Well, I grew up on comic books as a teenager and preteen and, and teenager and I absorbed in every bit of information I got from the uh, comic books. And I thought, you know, the, my mission in life has been to raise the awareness of that chapter of American history when Americans of Japanese ancestry were seen as the enemy simply because we looked like the people that bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, it was an, and we rounded up at gunpoint and incarcerated in barbed wire prison camps. And it happened here in Canada as mm-hmm. well. Uh, Japanese Canadians were imprisoned. Uh, it's a shameful chapter of both our country's uh, history. And yet, to this day, I uh, share my uh, childhood imprisonment with a person that I consider a uh, well-informed, uh, well-read person. And he is aghast when I tell, uh, told him, as a, as a child, I was imprisoned together with 120,000 other Japanese Americans from on the West Coast. People still to this day don't know that. But I thought we have to make it better in, in the future by having informed uh, adults, voters, um, people that are opinion makers, know this history. And so I I thought a graphic uh, memoir targeting uh, the preteens and teens and young adults uh, might be a way way to a hopeful uh, future America. And uh, so I call this book the Book of Hope, where we will have the next generation of voters and people that are going to be shaping our society our American society, with this knowledge so that they will not allow something like what's happening today on the uh, southern borders or allow an orangutan in the White House to pass an executive order uh, banning all Muslims 
and 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 uh, classified them classifying them as potential terrorists that kind of wild reckless policy making would not be allowed to happen in the name of americans you were four years old when this happened and you tell the story so vividly and i think about that in terms of what you just said we talked about children being detained at the border and the the memories that they may have the future stories that we're going to hear from them four years old you're given 10 minutes with your family to get everything ready to leave the home. How vivid was that in your mind? And did you have to go back to those memories to tell this story? I, what's vivid is that morning when the soldiers came to uh, round us up. Uh, but I also wanted to uh, capture the reality of uh, this five-year-old kid. Pearl Harbor was bombed when I was uh, four, on April 20th, I turned five years old, mm-hmm. and it was a few weeks after that that uh, my father got us up very early in the morning. I'm the oldest. My brother was a year younger, and our baby sister was a baby, uh, and uh, they dressed us hurriedly. And my brother and I were told to wait in the living room uh, while our parents did some last-minute packing in, in the uh, bedroom. So the two of us, my brother and I, were just gazing out the front window when suddenly we saw two soldiers marching up our driveway. They carried rifles with sharp, shiny bayonets on them. I could see it flashing uh, the sunshine. Yes. And they stomped up the porch with their fists. They began pounding on the door. I mean, that, that sound, to me, sounded like the whole house was trembling. My father came out and answered the door, And literally at gunpoint, we were ordered out of our own home. My father gave my brother and me small packages to carry. He hefted two heavy suitcases, and we followed him out onto the driveway and stood there waiting for our our mother to come out. And when she finally came out, she had our baby sister in one arm, a huge duffel bag uh, looking very heavy on the uh, right uh, hand, Mm -hmm. And tears were streaming down her face. That was a terrifying mor- moment, uh, morning that I'll never be able to forget. For any child, yeah, would, they would remember that. You dedicate the book to your mother and father for their undying love and life guidance. And yet you also said in the book that most Japanese Americans from your parents' generation don't like to talk about this. How did you get some of them to talk about their experiences? I think my parents felt uh, differently about that. Uh, Yes, most of the uh, uh, parents of uh, my parents' generation were so pained and wounded and uh, dehumanized by that that they they didn't want to share that pain with their children. Mm -hmm. My parents thought it was important for us to know uh, when we were the right age when I became a teenager and I started asking questions about it, uh, my father uh, engaged me in long after-dinner conversations, and he shared with me the uh, anguish of uh, taking his children behind barbed wire fences and looking at us and then seeing the barbed wire fence. And he said it tore him apart to wonder what his children's future might be like. What could it be like? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it tortured him. 
And I un- understood that. But he told me also that, and he filled me in on the various details. I, my real memories are that of a, a child. Uh, I had fun. I made discoveries. Uh, it was an exotic land, Arkansas. <laughs> We're from from Southern California. Mm-hmm. We'd never seen trees growing out of the water and the, their roots snaking up and down. It was a whole different, fantastical world. Right, but for your parents, that was something completely different. It was different. a harrowing mm-hmm. experience uh, to be stripped of everything. His business was... Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. It's taken, uh, their bank account, life savings was taken, and our home was taken, and then their freedom and dignity was taken. When it was over, when they when you were all allowed to go home again, how did how did they pick up and carry on? How did they continue to have faith in this country that they lived in? That's the other amazing part of the story, yeah. and that's the other terrifying mem- memory that I have. Our being rounded up was the first terrifying, mm-hmm. and you'd think that after we were released, we would uh, have good memories of that. No, it was the most terrifying of all, because here we were, penniless, absolutely impoverished, Mm -hmm. and were let go. They gave us $25 and a one-way ticket to anywhere in uh, in the country that we wanted to go to. My parents decided to go back to Los Angeles, but it was a still hostile uh uh, 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 like environment for them to go ab- back to. Abs- no house anymore, no life savings, all that gone? Everything was gone, and the hostility was still there. Uh, uh, jobs were very difficult. Housing was impossible. Our first home was on Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles, and that was, a, you know, because we... Uh, we, uh, we adjusted to the routine and the uh, discipline and, and the uh, regimentation of incarceration. Mm-hmm. But it was sheer chaos and violence and noise and ugly, smelly, scary people staggering about, and leaning on the wall, sprawled on the street. Uh, once we were walking down the sidewalk uh, as a family, and this derelict, came staggering toward us, glaring at us. We, th- we thought he was g- going to attack us. And then suddenly, as he neared us, he collapsed and he barfed. And my baby sister shri- uh, shrieked, Mama, let's go back home. She thought the camp was home. Behind barbed wire right. fences. Because her whole life, she w- went in as an infant. And all she knew was the order and regimentation of camp. And and Skid Row, with its horrible smell of human waste everywhere, in the hallway, in the, in, uh, on the street, in the alleys, and these scary people mm-hmm. fighting each other, sh- uh, um, uh, b- men braying and women shrieking, pulling hair and, 
and falling on the ground and wrestling each other and the shriek of uh, 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 sirens day and night. It was a terrifying place. Before Pearl Harbor and say after the war, like for your parents, what was life like before all of this happened? How were they treated, you know, by other people in society versus after the war? Did you talk to them about that? Yes. My father had a very successful dry cleaning business in uh, a very fashionable uh, part of uh, uh, Los Angeles, the Wilshire District, right Mm -hmm. next to uh, the Bullock's Department, Bullock's Wilshire, which was the most elegant uh, Still a very nice area, yeah. But, uh, well, that's no longer uh, a department store. It's become a law law school library. Uh, But the Art Deco architecture is a real landmark. Uh, so we had uh, uh, a very comfortable life. Uh, my fa- my mo- uh, father bought my mother a, a fur coat, and so you know we were doing well. Yeah, all that was ta- uh, taken away. We had to start from scratch. In camp, my father was uh, a block manager in both camps, and uh, the people uh, had always looked to my father for assistance and uh, guidance, and. They were desperate for for jobs. And my father was working as a dishwasher in Chinatown. Uh, Only other Asians would hire us. But uh, because uh, so many people needed his help, after his uh, dishwashing job, he opened up an employment agency, which eventually became full-time because the demand was so great. Uh, So he quit uh, the dishwasher uh, job and uh, helped other people get jobs. But they were all menial jobs that paid right. a pittance. Dishwasher, janitor, gardener. Compared to before. Compared to before. And he, now he was getting a... His fee was a fi- tiny fraction mm-hmm. of that pittance that they were getting paid. And sometimes with some people, he didn't collect uh, his uh, fee because he knew how desperate their uh, situation was. Your book also, your graphic novel also goes into, of course, as you were growing up, you became more active politically, involved in the civil rights era. You marched, you met Dr. Martin Luther King. What was that like? It was an absolutely unforgettable experience because... uh, as I was having these after-dinner discussions, uh, the c- civil rights movement was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father did uh, talk about how in a people's democracy, it's a participatory democracy, and it's, uh, a, a people's democracy is existentially dependent on people who cherish those ideals of, the, uh, of our system and actively participate. And uh, it's not just voting it's also volunteering mm-hmm. and to show me how uh, our democracy has to work. Uh, one Sunday afternoon, he drove me downtown to the Adlai Stevenson for President campaign head- headquarters. He was uh, a, a, a eloquent speaker, a great governor of uh, the state of Illinois. And uh, so there I was thrown into that uh, uh, um, a passionate uh, pit of right. uh, people uh, dedicated to getting Governor Stevenson elected president. And that's where I met Eleanor Roosevelt, who was a big supporter of uh, his. And at the same time I was uh, active in uh, uh, political campaigns, I saw that uh, 
social justice campaigns, and particularly the um, the uh, civil rights movement, uh, was an important uh, mm -hmm. uh, issue to be get involved with. And I did a civil rights musical called Fly Blackbird, and. So our uh, cast was invited to almost every other uh, uh, civil rights uh, rally to at, perform. To, to perform, yeah. and uh, the biggest of them all was at the uh, L.A. Sports Arena, where Dr. King was to be the keynote speaker, and we were invited to march in together with Dr. King. And uh, here we were in this huge arena that holds tens of thousands of people, just jam-packed, and the, and, and the excitement and the passion was high, and uh, we sang our hearts out, and then Dr. King spoke in that mellifluous and eloquent uh, voice of his, and he had our spirits soaring up to the rafters. You know what's amazing, George, when you tell all these stories is that we haven't even gotten to Star Trek yet. No, know? oh no. <laughs> you know, uh, because all of this I, I has hadn't happened. at that time. I was yeah. in uh, Star Trek. It was a sound that I never heard before. But you, you've had this uh, unreal life, right, with all of these stories so important and integral to American history. And now we're getting to how important Star Trek was. I said to you when you came in that I was just so honored to meet you because in my family, my you know parents, especially on my mother's side, arrivals from India in the late 1950s, Star Trek for them when they were growing up was a, a whole new world that opened up for them. Because a it vision looked, of our future. That's right. It was diverse and they couldn't believe this great show that was on TV that showed such diversity. And you must hear that all the time. You are such a symbol to people for that. We do hear it all the time. And I tell them that the credit really belongs to that extraordinary producer of uh, Star Trek, the producer-creator, Gene Roddenberry. He envisioned the uh, 23rd century as being one where we see our diversity as a strength. And that diversity, coming to, uh, together, working in concert as a team, was the power of that uh, uh, world. And uh, so... Uh, uh, he said the Starship Enterprise, where the story takes place, uh, is really a metaphor for Starship Earth and the diversity of this planet, people coming from all different parts of the planet, different races, different cultures, different faiths, all coming together. And that, to be able to tap the diverse uh, vantage points uh, uh, when uh, analyzing a challenge that you have yeah. makes us that much uh, stronger and better. And so the uh, makeup of the crew of the, star, uh, of the Starship Enterprise uh, uh, looked like that. So we had the casting of, uh, well, a Canadian as the captain of uh, the... Uh, That's right. <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, Enterprise, uh, the... Uh, the European character was uh, the Scottish Scott uh, uh, engineer. Montgomery Scott, yeah. Montgomery Scott. And he was a Canadian as well from Vancouver right here. Yeah. <laughs> so two Canadians at the leadership. Uh, uh, the uh, communications officer was an African woman. And Nichelle Nichols uh, embodied much more than just Africa. Oh, so because much, Because yeah. she had French uh, ancestry as well as Cherokee ancestry. Native American, and uh, my character was to represent the whole of Asia, but Asia is diverse uh, in itself, and uh, 20th century Asia 
had been turbulent with uh, warfare, colonization, rebellion, and he didn't want to uh, bring that aspect in. But his dilemma was what name to give to this Asian character because Asian surnames are all nationally specific. Right. Tanaka is Japanese. Wong is Chinese. Kim is Korean. Delgado is Filipino. Right. You know, and India. So, uh, you know, so how cho- why, why choose Sulu then? Well, he uh, had a map of Asia uh, pinned on his wall. Uh-huh. He was looking at it, and he saw that off the coast of uh, the Philippines is the Sulu Sea. And he thought, the waters of a sea touch all shores. And that's how my character came to have the name Sulu. And did you ever think, when you were doing Star Trek back then, that all of these years later you would still be talking about it and how important it was? <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, during uh, the filming of the pilot, Jimmy Doohan, uh, Scotty, the right? Vancouverite, uh, uh, and I were chit-chatting, and he said, how, uh, how, how long do you think, that, uh, or first of all, uh, will this series be a hit, and how long do you think it'll last? And I said, well, just judging from the past, the shows that I really thought were great, the the shows that I loved, the shows that were quality, acting, writing, uh, directing, those were the shows that got canceled after this first season. (laughs) And so with luck, we might get two seasons. Well, I got even luckier. We got three seasons, despite the fact that we announced that we were boldly going on on a five-year mission. The most destructive alien life form weren't the Klingons or the Andorians. They were the NBC programming executives. (laughs) Yeah, but it worked out okay for you. Um, George, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. It's been great meeting with you. That is George Decay. He joined us in studio earlier this morning. And then, of course, after it was all over, I said to him, George, come on, everybody knows the worst Star Trek enemies were the Romulans. Come on, let's. And so then we had a very lively debate about that as well. Uh, he will be at Indigo on Robson. That is tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. talking about this amazing book, his best-selling new graphic memoir, They Called Us Enemy.